Okay, so turn your attention. Well, I haven't got a particular scripture that I want to go to. I've got seven that I'm going to reference, but I've set a timer. I'm nine minutes in, and so I've got just 20 minutes, and then I'm going to put stop, and if necessary, start again next Sunday, okay, because I don't want to just rush through what I want to say, because, you see, Jesus outlines in, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, he outlines primary attributes of followers, And I want to draw your attention for your good and his glory. I want to draw your attention to those primary attributes so that you can not just think about it, but you can actually take a checkup and say, okay, this is me. You see, in in 2 Peter 1, this is my, for me, if I could only preach one portion of scripture, again, it would be this portion of scripture. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. Because the gospel is here, the goodness of God is here, and the challenge to my life is here. And it just says this, verse 8. I'm not going to read it because of time, but in verse 8 it says, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about just growing in knowledge. It's growing in usefulness because of what you know. It's actually choosing to do something with what you understand. If you don't understand it, that's okay. But what you do understand, you are accountable to him for what you do with what you know. Okay? And as your pastor, I'm going to hold you accountable to me. Because I'm accountable to him for you. So I'm going to say, what are you doing with what you know? And I'm going to say, why are you not doing more with what you know? Now, it's not me going to be keeping a list, but I want to say to you, we have to hold each other accountable. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be accountable to you by sharing what I've just shared, because I am accountable to you. I want, with humility, to say, here I am. If you think I'm wrong, if you need to know more about me, come and ask me, because As sure as eggs are eggs, I'm going to come and ask you. Okay? Now, don't worry. Don't lose sleep over it. I'm not going to turn up and say, what are you doing? I just want to get to know. How is it going? How are you? How are you growing? See, people who receive the rule of the kingdom that Jesus brings have to manifest something of that. And so I've just got, I've just kind of very quickly scanned And uh, I've just listed seven direct references to kingdom lifestyle that are in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus highlights. And I'm sure we could look, we could find more. But um, I thought I was going to have a little bit more time. Um, So I just picked seven. So the first one that I want to talk to you about is in five, um, uh, Matthew 5, verse 3. And it's humility. It's humility. We have to be people that manifest humility. God blesses those who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. God blesses those who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. We need to have a humility. We can have a boldness and a confidence that looks like arrogance and be misunderstood, but in... And sometimes I am misunderstood and, uh, and accused of all sorts of things, but I genuinely 
work at walking with a, a humility because I know that it's only by the grace of God that I can get out of bed in a day. It's only by the grace of God that I get the privilege of playing a part in teaching you something of the scriptures that he is teaching me. It's only with humility that we can manifest his kingdom. Let me show you what arrogance, well, let me tell you what arrogance looks like. I, I, I didn't listen for very long, but uh, somebody posted a, a bloke preaching that ladies could not wear, uh, it, it was an American thing, and I'm not anti-American, it was just the nature, and it could have been in somebody from this country, but it was just filmed, and, and this person was saying that you can't wear, ladies, you can't wear trousers. Now, they called them pants, because that's what they do, and it did sound very funny, but saying that you're not allowed to wear pants, <laughs> but, but now, <laughs> praise God, <laughs> it's not happening. But they were saying, ladies, you can't wear trousers, full stop. And I'm thinking, what are you, what, what? You can't wear trousers. And he said, now some ladies, you're going to say, but it needs to be appropriate. You know, I need to wear trousers because they're appropriate. Like when you go skiing. And he says, ladies, it's not appropriate that you wear trousers, so you can't ski. <laughs> what, what? The arrogance. And I'm saying, God, where's the humility? Actually, it's, I could see loads of stupidity. But you see, sometimes we impose on others out of an arrogant spirit. And actually, Jesus says, it's only because of him that I can get to do anything. It's only because of him that I can be the husband that I need to be, that Ellen deserves me to be. It's only because of him. And I want to say to you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right at the beginning of this list, this is the, this is the bottom line that be, actually begins the great refreshing and renewing of your life. And his kingdom begins to come. You have to start with, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your deliverance from my past lifestyle choices. I need your grace in my life because unless I experience your grace, I am doomed to destruction because you will live your life religiously thinking that you're okay. And God says, you've got arrogance. You need to have humility. And the humility is manifested in the hearts of people that say, God, it's only by your grace that I get to do anything, let alone anything well. And so I want to say to you, right at the get-go, if you're going to take a checkup, ask yourself, are you really a Christ follower or are you just a believer? A follower walks, a believer thinks. You need to check yourself with humility. Do you approach him in desperation? Saying, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you've given me away. The second one, and I'm going to ask if we can put a picture up. The second one. The second one is a willingness to suffer persecution. I don't know whether you've seen this photograph of this gentleman. This gentleman is a pastor. Lawan 
Andini was martyred last week by the Boko Haram in Nigeria. And they videoed him. And this is a still from the video. I haven't seen the video. I don't want to see the video. But this, this man in the video makes a statement, and it's this. It just says, don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. And then his wife says this. I was strengthened by my husband's message in the video. He spoke like a man of faith, a man who was already prepared to meet the Lord. Jesus says, God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He blesses those who live for God. He doesn't say he blesses those who choose to acknowledge God. It doesn't say he blesses those who faithfully go to church. It doesn't say he blesses those who actually can give generously. He doesn't say, it says those who live for God. This man, and I want to pause here and I want us to pray. This man is a Nigerian pastor and I'm, we've been asked uh, to pray for the nation of Nigeria by the Nigerian church. And uh, they've asked that today the church would rise and pray and cry out to God. The song that we've been singing, uh, Waymaker, comes, it's the, it's the first song that is sung across the world to come out of the black African church in Africa that's gone around the world and, written, and that is sung across denominations across generations. When I, when I do some studying, I, uh, I, there's a YouTube of uh, Jesus 19 uh, conference, and they sing that song for 28 and a half minutes straight. It's the only song they sing in a worship set. They just sing that song, and it goes up and it goes down. And, and I put my earbuds in, and I had my window open <laughs> the other day, and, and, I, and I'm thinking and I'm praying and, I'm, and I've just got the song going. And as, as I get drawn into worshiping, the volume goes up in my earbuds and then I, I find myself singing and shouting in my office, realizing that nobody knows what I'm listening to. And then I'm realizing that the window's open and families are coming backwards and forth. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I need to <laughs> mute, put mute on and just worship or close the windows. But, but I, I want to say, can we pray? God is doing something. God is doing something. He's calling us to pray. They've asked if we would pray against the rising violence that the Christian church is experiencing in the nation of Nigeria. We would pray that God would convict the government of that land to actually do something about the persecution of Christians, your brothers and your sisters. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're just going to very simply, for a minute, we're just going to pray. And you can pray. You can pray silently, but I'm asking you to stand as a symbol of unity. They don't know we're standing, but God is watching. And I just want to say, God says, God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So will you join me? I'm going to articulate some prayer. You can pray for yourself and for them. And so, Father, we just come before you. And say, God, for the church in Nigeria and that nation in this day, Father, we cry out, God, would you cover them and protect them? Lord, would you 
bring pressure onto the government to do what is right and appropriate to defend the church, your church, our brothers and our sisters. Father, that this, this pastor and his, his family would be provided for, that they would sense your presence like never before. Because around the globe, sisters and brothers are praying and lifting them up. Lord, we might never get to meet them this side of glory. But Lord, we pray for them right now. Lord, we pray, Lord, have mercy on that nation. Lord, bring revival into that nation, not just everybody going to church, but Lord, that your kingdom would come in that land because there are persecuted saints, that they would know your, your heavenly presence in their nation. And Lord, that it would spread from there across the continent and then across continents. Lord, birth something afresh in your bride in that land. Oh God, please. Oh God, please. We have it so easy, and yet we shy away from things that might embarrass us. Oh, God, forgive us for not being willing, not being willing to put ourselves in a place where we might be misunderstood, where we might be lied about or laughed at or, or just maybe even persecuted unto death. Oh, God, have mercy on us, but pour out your blessing on them in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, please continue to pray for that nation. As you go through your day and your week, just be mindful of it. Just be mindful of them. Okay, and the second thing that I want to draw your attention to, in the, sorry, the third, is the earnest attention. So the willingness to suffer was uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, this is chapter 5, verse 19. And it's the earnest attention to God's commands, to God's commandments. And you say, well, what are his commandments? And you're going to say, well, well I, I could say the Ten Commandments. You need to pay earnest attention to God's commandments, his Ten Commandments. But it's more than that. So verse 19 says, So if you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them, and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. It's and teach them. It's model something with your life. It's teaching them. It's showing them. Earnest attention to God's commandments. Earnest is just a sincere and intensive conviction that they are worth applying. Now, if you get swallowed up in legalism and religiosity, uh, your challenge is that you will be faced with a minimum of 613 commandments, rules, just in the Torah. And so it's not about keeping rules. It's following God's command. And he refines it. Jesus refines it and narrows it. In Mark 10, verse 19, it says, uh, he says, basically, don't murder, don't, have, don't commit adultery, don't steal, and don't um, give false testimony, don't say something about per a person that's not true, uh, don't cheat on others, and honor your father and mother. Okay, he's summing up. And then in Matthew 22, the, um, 34 to 40, there's a, a little bit broader indication of what he's saying. But he sums it up again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the command. He sums it all up. He sum, it's all summed up according to Romans 13, 9. This is all summed up in how you love you and how you love others. It's, but it starts with how you love him, that he, he saved me. 
that he loves me enough to forgive me. And he loves you enough to save you. 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 And you enough. 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 And you enough to save you. He loves you. And this side too. <laughs> yeah. And you thought you were sitting on the anointed side. Oh, man. <laughs> but he loves... <gasps> that affects my mind. It affects my spirit, it affects my heart, it affects my soul. And then that has to be used to love others. Yeah, but they're not very nice. That's not an optate. Suck it up. Love them. Love them. Love them sacrificially. Love them till it hurts. You, not them. Love them. Love them. Love them. Love them enough. What does it look like if you love them? Well, you'll go to them. You'll share this great news. You'll have a passion that they know what you know, that they meet who you've met, that they would feel the forgiveness and the grace and the love and the mercy that you experience because you love them. Because when I love Ellen, I want her to experience all of the things that I'm loving in life. I want her to be part of it. And I want to be part of what she's in love with in this life because we're called to be people that are influencing those around us. I got two minutes. So let me read to you what I wrote to finish, and you'll hear it again next Sunday. Jesus is hoping that his apprentices, and I use that word deliberately because we can sidestep the word disciple, thinking that's other people better than me. No, an apprentice is a person who has chosen to indenture themselves to somebody that knows more than they know so that they can know what they know and do what they do. That's an apprentice. I know what I'm talking about. I was one, and I still hope that I am one. He's hoping that his apprentices will be willing to accept renewal in their soul and in their behavior, that it will look something, it would look like something not just because they think it, not just because they experience it, but because it changes the way that they live. There will be something about them that has the flavor, the essence of the one that they're following. That people will see and sense Christ in you. Not because you're religious, but because you're naturally supernatural. You're normally following him, and his influence will be looking like something in your life. Because it's not just about the new birth. It's not just about the renewal of our soul. It's not just about starting again, having God wait the slate and say, there you go, Bill. I've given you a new beginning because you've confessed your faith in my sacrifice that it can deal with your sin and that I now can cover you with a righteousness you don't deserve, and that you can come into my presence, says the Father, because of the righteousness that is in my Son, on my Son. It's on you, and it's in you. So I see him in you. I see him on you. I see him all around you. And so he makes you acceptable to me. That's salvation, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to look like something here and now. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have taken the time to to lay out the Sermon on the Mount where he encapsulates the whole essence of who we should be 
for his glory and for the transformation of our communities. So it's more than just a simple rebirth. It's about a renewal of our soul and it's a renewal of our behavior. And then I've written this. There's an expectation from Jesus that you and I, but you, sorry, I didn't mean to sound like so intrusive then, but it is you. It's me, but it's you. It's you. Will develop the fruit of the Spirit as well as the gifts of the Spirit. He is hoping for kingly qualities to manifest through your life. To, for you to have a holy character. Not to be religiously superstitious. Because I think a lot of church people are religiously superstitious. He's calling us to have a holy character. And he's also challenging us to live a godly lifestyle. He doesn't leave us on our own. He's calling us to a standard. And he says, I'll be your guide. I'll comfort you when it's challenging. I'll be with you. But there needs to be markers in your life that look something like him. And if you want to see what they are, you can read for yourself 2 Peter 3. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing a song, if we can. And if you need to just pause, take a moment, and say, God, I could do with more humility. God, am I really willing to be persecuted? Am I really willing to be like that pastor who says, don't worry, don't worry, because he's ready to take whatever comes because he knows that his life is in your hands and you can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And if there is no way out of this, then the only way is into your presence. I'll willingly take that way. You need to look. Is that you? Are you willing? It might not come to a life that's lost at the hands of militant terrorists. But it might mean that you have to lose yourself to yourself and that your willingness to actually talk to people about him. And that you screw up your fear and put it in the bin and unpack your faith and your courage and begin to say, Listen, let me tell you about Jesus. Not, not uh, you know, banging on your next door neighbor's door and saying, oh, yeah, I need to tell you about Jesus, but just your friends. Just the, and you will have loads of people in your life that don't know Jesus. And maybe they don't know you know Jesus because they don't see him in you. I don't know. But maybe they would if you began to pay earnest attention to his commandments and you could begin to look a little bit more like him. Not somebody that quotes Bible, but somebody that follows the way of their rabbi, who follows the way of their teacher, follows the way of their master, follows the way of their Lord, follows the way of their king, follows the way of their savior. Rhetorical questions, but you need to answer them for yourself. I don't need to know what your answer is, but you need to know. You need to have an answer. Are you humble? Are you willing to be persecuted? Do you earnestly attend to his commandments in your life? Or is it only what suits you when it suits you? So, Father, 
I pray, Father, that you would continue to convict me where I am lazy, selfish, narrow-minded. Lord, would you refine me? Lord, that your salvation that is mine would make me look like something of your son who is my savior, that my friends, my community would sense your presence. Oh, Lord. Lord, forgive us. Have mercy on us. But Father, would you strengthen us? For those of us that are bold enough to actually face this and take this on that would begin to adapt and embellish our lifestyle with your principles and priorities. Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, that heaven would manifest in our homes, in our community, because we're here. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, Lord. And that this would be for your glory for your glory Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name